Hey everyone, it's been a while. This is This Developer's Life. I'm Scott Hanselman. And uh, yeah, it's been a while. But you stuck with us. You had faith that we would be back, and we are back. We are committed to the show. It just takes a lot of work. It takes hours and hours. Probably between 30 and 40 hours of recording and editing just to get one hour out to you. But we're here, and we've put together an episode that we think is pretty special. Uh, In this episode, we'll bring you two stories of faith. First, it's going to be Act 1. Now, Rob Connery, as you may have heard, has been traveling the world with his family. He sold his house, he packed up his wife and two kids, and he headed out into the wide world. And he is out in the wide world right now. In Act 2, we meet Inongo, a.k.a. Samus, and how Faith is guiding her forward. Except she has one foot on a path towards a PhD, and the other foot on a path towards a successful music career. We'll hear how she's motivated to succeed in two very different industries. Or is she? I also want to say that we appreciate DevExpress for sticking with us after all these years. And most of all, we appreciate you, the listeners. Thanks for having faith in us. First, let's hear from Rob Connery on the road in Greece. It's May of 2015, at about 1 p.m., on a warm afternoon in Piso Lavadi, a small fishing village on the island of Paros, Greece. I've been traveling with my family all over Europe for the last 10 months. My daughter's ages 10 and 13, taking the year off school, and we're doing our best to expose them to the world outside of the United States where we're from. I've been working while we're away. I can pretty much work anywhere. I write code for a living and currently work for Pluralsight, creating screencasts about the things that I make. This trip is so incredible. I've become so much closer to my family, and this might sound a little strange, closer to myself. I've had to. It's tough to be away from home for so long, and it takes work to keep relationships from straining under the weight of daily exposure. You can't fix other people. You can't erase or wish away the little quirks that used to be just quirks, that through a process of continuous exposure every day, become gigantic annoyances. Like my daughter's addiction to cracking her knuckles seems so silly. It's almost on schedule every 30 minutes. You can set a clock by it. And it's one knuckle at a time. Oh my God, stop it! And she doesn't stop. She won't stop. She can't stop. These things are hardwired into the adolescent brain, these little annoyances that drive you absolutely bonkers, and the only way to get her to stop is to cut off her fingers, which I might have threatened to do once or twice. (laughs) But even then, I think she'd still find a way. So you adjust. You make room for these quirks, which means you figure out what it was in you that was annoyed in the first place. And then you let that go. I've let a lot of things go on this trip, a lot of it centering around my fear of not being a good dad, loving my kids too much, driving them crazy, driving me crazy. So I just let things go and had faith. 
Faith in my kids to make good decisions if I let them. Faith in myself that I can be a better father by way of example, rather than harsh words. Which leads me back to where I started. We're here in Greece on a sunny Friday afternoon, and I quite literally have no idea where my kids are. I haven't seen them in about six hours, and I don't know if they've eaten lunch, if they're wearing sunscreen, if they've maybe jumped onto a ferry over to Naxos, the next island over, I really don't know. As an American parent, this is pretty new territory for me. I worry about my kids. Can't help it. I've let that go over the last few months, slowly. And today I've decided to record this podcast and just try not to worry about what they're doing. Basically, I'm doing what my parents did for me when I was 10. I handed them 20 euro for lunch, told them to have fun, and off they ran with one of their new friends that they've made here. She's awesome. She's a 10-year-old little girl from one of the local expat families. And that was five hours ago. Maybe six. The look on my oldest daughter's face was comical uh, when I handed her the 20 euros. And you should have seen, about two hours later, when I saw them sit down at a little cafe for lunch, by themselves, ordering sandwiches, (laughs) just by themselves, using what little Greek language that they knew. You should have seen my face. I'm sure it was ten times as comical. (laughs) That was great. Now, for many of you listening, this could be how you handle every single day with your kids. For other parents, this kind of thing is unthinkable. Or rather, maybe you do think about it. Maybe you might even sigh and say, yeah, yeah, all parents should be doing that. Or one day I'm sure we'll be able to do that with our kids. But the world is a different place nowadays. There's so much more to worry about. I've thought this. But really, is there? Have people changed that much? Has the world changed that much? I honestly can't say... What I do know is that my kids have responded to my faith in kind. They're eating really well. They're brushing their teeth before I have to tell them to. And are basically managing me. Making sure they don't do things that make me grumpy. (laughs) They like their new freedoms. They don't want me to take them away, that's for sure. I like their new freedom too for them. And for what it's done for me as a dad. To get over so much of my parental fears. Have faith in my kids. I've had to consciously, actively work on letting go of a lot over the course of this trip. And it all started with one of the biggest fears of all, deciding to do this trip in the first place. It's April of 2014 and I'm in my garage sweeping the sand out while I brew one of my favorite IPA recipes. I just brought this thing called a Braumeister. It's a computerized all-in-one home brewing system and I've been putting it through its paces. It's not cheap and it is darn fun. Uh, it makes really, really good beer. Arcade Fire is playing on my little stereo and it's the happiest I have been in weeks. just sold my screencast business, techpub.com, earlier in the year, and everything is working out pretty well so far. Stress and time of running a company is gone. 
and the company that acquired mine, Pluralsight, wants me to continue doing screencasts, so I still have a job, and I still have work to do. Sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. And it isn't. Captain Prison, in the prison of I sold my business because it was consuming me. I loved it, almost every second of it, but it's hard for me to set boundaries, and I suppose that's another TDL episode in and of itself, but for now, let me just say that walking away from TechPub was... It's a bit like turning off the mower after you've mowed the lawn. The roar of the motor abruptly ends and everything gets quiet. Almost too quiet. For a person who likes to work and keep busy... This kind of thing can actually be a little bit unsettling. I like to create things, to build things up from nothing. And that's exactly what TechPub was to me, something I created. And as time went on, kept recreating. And now I didn't have that anymore. Which is kind of a bummer. But I like to brew beer, goof around in my garage, which is what I'm doing when my wife comes home with the girls. She has a look on her face. It's not quite boredom, not quite exhaustion. It's got a touch of frustration, but I wouldn't call it that either. It's a bit of all three. A weird emotional Venn diagram of discontent. I need a change, she says to me. I feel like we're in a rut, just coasting along. Me too, I say. I feel that rut. We sit together that night, talk about the little things that we can do. Maybe go camping for a long weekend, go see family on the mainland... Or maybe just go for a few months during the summer, go traveling to another country. Or maybe the whole damn year, I say with a smile, taking a sip of a really good red ale that I kegged three weeks ago. And she looks back at me with her full attention, sitting up in her chair. Her face breaks into the biggest smile I have seen in weeks. Oh my God, let's do it. Few months later, we were gone. I can't tell you exactly how we made the decision to do it. It was just the magic of that moment. Complete faith. Just jumping in. Let's go. It's January 2015, and we're in the Scottish Highlands, a little ski town called Aviemore, and it's snowing heavily. It gets dark at about 3.30, 4 o'clock every day. My birthday is come and gone, and I'm missing the warm weather and big surf back home. I really miss home, home I'm never going back to, which is crushing. Back in June, right before we were about to leave, my wife decided she was ready to make a big jump and go back to school. She wanted to finally get her degree in nutrition, from a highly respected alternative university in Seattle, Washington. She wanted for us to move. This was her life's ambition, so why wait? Timing it right after the trip made sense in a way. We'll need to resettle our lives again, so why not just do it in a new town? She's right. I love Hawaii. It's my home. We gave up everything to move there. It was my dream. It had been for years before we finally made the choice. My wife wanted me to be happy. And so we moved there over 10 years ago. Now it was her turn to follow her dream, 
and there was no way I could say no. I think of this as I look outside at the snow blowing sideways over the cold Scottish countryside, a frozen pond right in front of our window, the light dimming at 3.30. I don't want to live in a big city. I don't want to live in Seattle. I really like my home in the warm weather. For those of you who live in Seattle, the Washington area, sorry for whining so much, no offense. I am sure Seattle will be amazing, but I'm just a warm weather person, and I like where I live. There is so much in my head that I basically shut down. I get snappy, I spend less time with the girls, I essentially turn into a big baby, in case you couldn't tell. I needed to do something. And then I remembered. I remembered reading an article in Flipboard a few weeks back about how Zen meditation helped Steve Jobs focus on what he felt was important at Apple. The article mentioned a specific book that influenced him more than any other, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind by Shunryu Suzuki, a really famous book that essentially started the whole Zen movement in the US decades ago. Hmm. How Steve Jobs used Zen to focus on what was important. That would really, really help me right now. I miss home, I miss my friends, I miss the adult conversation, swimming in the warm Pacific, something I'm permanently leaving behind. There's also the promise of the future, though. A happier wife with a career she's always dreamed of. Opportunity, culture, sports. General excitement of a big city. Not just any big city, but Seattle. There's so much I could do there for my career, better school for my kids, also being closer to grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, summer camps making jams from fresh fruit in the summer. I need to see things more clearly, to let my fears go, to have more faith in my wife and our future. So I download the book, open the first page, and this is what I read. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the experts, there are few. This line hits me so hard that my mind goes blank and I just stare. I think I reread it maybe ten times. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the experts, there are few. I keep on reading. I read about right practice, control, breathing and meditation, how all those things go together and calm the waves of your big mind. Now oh, the big mind, what an amazing concept. So simple, so basic, so very Zen. Eh, don't worry. I'm not going to turn this into a sales pitch for Zen Buddhism. Uh, the book is a simple weekend read. It's only 240 pages. So if you're interested at all, I highly recommend it. It really did change my life. But it wasn't just the philosophy of it. It was something a little bit more. I learned to meditate. Yes, I know, sounds a bit midlife crisis-y, but stay with me here. So two days later, I'm reading Flipboard after reading the Zen article, and there's another article about this thing called Headspace. It's an iPhone app that helps you learn how to meditate. Tons of great reviews, and I figure, why not? 20 minutes later, I'm listening to the polite English accent of Andy Puttacombe, telling me that it's easy, just 10 minutes a day, to soften your mind, letting go of distractions. 20 days later, I'm back in Edinburgh, and I've just completed the second level of the free foundation series. My youngest daughter is waiting at the top of the stairs for me, and we're about to go ice skating. I grab my skates, hug my wife, 
take a second to kiss her on the forehead as I head out. You've really changed, she said to me. She's right. I have. I've learned to let go of so much noise in my mind, so much fear. Noise that was keeping me from focusing and believing in my future, my kids, myself. I had an explosion of creative energy. I started blogging again. I started researching new and interesting technology. I sat down and wrote out four different business ideas and am now actively coding up two of them. I even started writing a novel. Seriously, I did. Creative energy has flooded into me and it feels really good. I just let a lot of stuff go, like worrying about my kids, whether I'm a good dad, and I just let things be. It's hot here in Greece. The Mediterranean is as clear and blue as every picture I've seen of it. And this little town that we're in is postcard perfect. We came here to meet a friend who moved here about a year and a half ago, leaving her life in San Francisco and moving into her family's old house on the hill where she spent summers as a child. Her daughter is the same age as my youngest and she speaks Greek almost fluently, but she's as American as we are and craves the company of kids a bit more like her. Dad, can we go looking for crystals over by the rocks in the harbor? Three of them are inseparable and I love it. My wife has been in Athens for the last few days taking care of some things with her family back home, which leaves me here on my own, actively working on letting go of a lot of my paranoid parent syndrome. All right, here's 20 euro for when you're hungry. I'm going to work on a podcast for a bit. Smile on their faces. I still feel a bit afraid, but I have faith in them. p.m. at the time we'd normally make sure that the kids are in bed, teeth brushed, 20 minutes to read books, and then lights out. But tonight, piece of lavari, stars are out, the lights of the town are outshone by the light of the full moon. We're going to go watch the cats run around down in the square, okay? Paras is kind of known for its cats. They wander around everywhere. They're not quite feral, not really wild. Come right up to you and let you pet them. You just want some food. My kids love watching them run around at night. The noise in my head tells me the ways I could be a bad dad if I let my kids stay up so late, never going to bed. I see the faces of friends and family as I tell them this story about my kids staying up until midnight, watching cats, as I slept. Are you crazy, Rob? Take a deep breath, and I breathe out. Don't wake me up when you get back, I tell them. And off they run into the warm night.
emergency order. Defeat the Metroid of the planet Zenith and destroy the mother brain, the mechanical life phase. Okay, I'm on it. You already know where to send the check. I have always had this need for validation, just outside validation. So um, from a young age, I was always pretty good at school. I don't know if it was just my parents um, doing a really good job with me or, you know, it's just some innate um, kind of characteristic about me. But school and I always clicked. Um, and so I, I discovered pretty early on that when I got good grades, I was validated. Um, and I loved that feeling, but it made me very hungry for more and almost put me in the conundrum in which I didn't know how to validate myself. Um, so, uh, I think in terms of faith about my music and my career, um, it's it's a very scary topic because I don't know that I actually have all that much in myself. By any measure, Ithaca native Inongo Lumumba Kasongo embodies success. She's deep into a PhD at the Department of Science and Technology Studies at Cornell. She's clearly got a successful career in academia ahead of her, right? Well, the problem is her hobby of producing beats under the name Samus. She takes the name Samus from Samus Aran, the main character in Metroid, but I'm sure you knew that. Well, it's showing her another possible path, perhaps a more validating path. Does she need to choose between potential musical superstardom and her technical doctorate work? Choosing the right path is a leap of faith. I'm Scott Hanselman, and faith is the topic of this episode of This Developer's Life. She like Mousers or Bowser, turned up to 1,000. I heard she's astounding, but I got that aim of Jesse James. Call it Team Rocket. Um, I'm constantly looking out into the world and, and trying to put out feelers. And, and even if you, you look at some of my posts on Facebook, they're always very apologetic. Um, I'm always saying, oh, I'm sorry to post multiple times a day, or I know that you guys get a lot of posts, but please check this out. Um, so... I, I, my sense is that an artist who, you know, truly, really believes that they have it, you know, they're not going to be apologizing for their thing. They're going to be a, a Kanye West. You know, this is my gift. This is my talent. Take it in. You're blessed to be in my presence. Um, and I've never really felt that way. And I've, I've never been sure how to access that outside of people cheering or buying my things or clapping for me. Um, and that creates a really stressful experience when creating art obviously because it's kind of a solitary experience um often i'm on my couch writing or making beats in my head or in the car um you know these sort of isolated places um and especially in the earlier stages it's not necessarily something that i feel comfortable sharing with anybody but it also means that i have to challenge myself because i rely so heavily on what other people think about my stuff to to feel okay with it um and 
So I, I guess <laughs> in the context of my own stuff, I'm, I'm still looking for what faith in myself looks like. I know as an engineer, as a professional engineer for 20 years, that I still struggle with imposter syndrome. And I'm always amazed when I see people with such talent, especially multiple talents, like Samus, who still struggle with that. You can hear in the interview, there's a quietness and a fear, but there's a strength and a power and a defiance in the lyrics of the music. And they always say that it is the people who are the most competent that are concerned that maybe they aren't at all. As my music becomes more popular, uh, I sort of fear that I won't be able to have that gauge for myself, which is something I never even really had to begin with. Um, which leads to your interesting question of well, why did I get started in the first place? What, what was sort of the driving force? Um, and I don't think that it was this, this innate sense that I had this powerful gift or I really had something important to say. I think it was just a, a mechanism for accessing something outside of myself or like spiritually reaching for something. Um, I was very depressed when I first really started taking music seriously. Uh, I had moved to Houston, Texas, where I was a teacher um, through Teach for America. And that first year was terrible for me. I cried every single day. I felt so isolated. I, I felt strange. I felt really like an alien. Um, those of you who are familiar with Houston, it has its own culture. It has its own way of doing things, as do you know all cities, all places. But it was something that was so foreign to me. Um, so I felt very alone. Um, and I think in being so alone, I, I started looking for people, familiar faces, and I, I did find a friend, and he eventually led me to like this spiritual movement. Um, I always call it uh, Black Hipster Church, but that's, I don't think that's um, a very nice way to categorize it because it's, it's something much deeper than that. But I know that everybody dressed really well and had skinny jeans, and um, they were kind of into like niche, cool kinds of music. But there was this bigger part of it where it was like I felt at home. I felt like I had found my tribe. I started exploring what it meant to um, make art or make my own art or find my own voice. Um, so in that sense, I guess... Faith has played a role in my development in terms of my, my relationship with, with God. It was when I started to see art as like a way of God expressing himself or herself or however you want to characterize God or some omnipotent force. Um, it was when I started to feel like I was in the right place at the right time. Give it 
What if no one listened to your music? What if it was just you? Like you hear about people working on like math problems and you every once in a while there'll be some news article where some kind of quiet Chinese PhD pops up and then solves a 300-year-old math problem. And you, you, you're like, why did you do that? And he's like, well, you know, 30 years ago, it, it interested me. And then I figured I would do it until I was done. And you figure that he was in an apartment for the last 30 years doing this thing. He wasn't in it for the fame. There's no cheering crowds. And now it's done. And then he'll go on to the next thing. But he did it entirely on internal faith. Wow. So that's sort of like a what, what compels me question, which is, that's... That's hard to think about because, as I said, so much of my desire to be productive is couched in this sense of wanting to belong, this desire to like have people hear me or like feel me or connect with me and me connect with them. Um, so it's almost like my music has to be a social process. But in terms of what what drives me, it's like I'm thinking back to those nights in Houston when I was just sad and chopping up samples on my computer like what was driving me then um and i think that it was my way of um like reaching something higher or aspiring for something it just it it i don't know how to describe the the void that that process filled for me um it was just building something like being able to i think it's like a human desire to to craft and make and shape things when you need a reset my whole world is is um, out of my hands. I don't feel like I'm doing a great job teaching. Um, so I'm not getting the validation there. Um, I don't feel particularly connected with the people around me, but I can control these sounds and make these sounds do what I want them to do and have it be something pleasant at the end. Right. My, my life is totally out of control. This apartment sucks. This job sucks, but these beats are tight. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That that need to feel like some part of my life was going right. Um, so if I can at least be good at music, then I've got something. Somebody pressed the reset, I guess so I could reject all the he said and she said that was giving me some feedback. When I lost my presets, Jesus, I was seasick, but losing everything was exactly what I had needed. Had to hit the restart. At first, I didn't think it was really life like it's VR. What about faith as it relates to imposter syndrome? Because mm. I always find, like, I always see, like, Kanye or, mm-hmm. or um, Janelle Monet, where it's like... Mm-hmm. They just must walk, wake up in the or Prince, right? Just right. wake up in the morning and go. You know, you know, I'm Janelle Monae, right? Like, it just is everyone <laughs> clear about that? Like, I am yeah. the shit. I am the sh- yeah. You know, like Prince knows he's the shit because he's been the shit for thirty years. But <laughs> but Janelle, like you'll see her. I saw her on Oprah, and this little girl went as her for um for Halloween. And, oh yeah, you know yeah, I, mean? I saw and that. Janelle, like she cried legit tears. She was really mm-hmm. moved, and mm-hmm. that made me realize. Well, maybe she isn't like. Yeah. Maybe she doesn't realize she's this. Like we all worship at the, at the, the, the church of Beyonce or whatever. She obviously right. <laughs> lives at that level where she's convinced herself 
that she is the bomb, right? And there was that whole argument about her her artistry versus Beck's, you know, mm-hmm. which is an uncomfortable thing because you don't want to tear her down while putting another individual up. Yeah. But at the same time, there's something to be said for toiling quietly mm-hmm. alone and then coming out with something, you know what I mean? Which makes yeah. you wonder, are you being driven by the people around you or are you being driven internally? And I get the sense that Beck is being driven internally while Beyonce may be driving in a bus with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of different, I think, discussions around the sort of like artistry of the thing and like even what artistry means. Does does it negate someone's artistry if they are, you know, if it doesn't come from this like deep, intense sense of like, I must make this because I'm a human and I'm building and creating and crafting, and controlling my world um, versus, you know, the Beyonce, which is not to say that she doesn't have that same drive, but it's it strikes me that she's much more a part of like the system, quote unquote, the whole sort of infrastructure of like the music industry. Um, and it's it's a hard thing to say because I listened to Beyonce's album and I, I had it on rotation for a while. And I also growing up here in Ithaca, New York, like grunge and and sort of Beck's earlier stuff like that was all a part of my life mm-hmm. um, I remember you couldn't have like a top 100 best songs of the 90s countdown without Beck popping up three or four places um, so it's it's for me the type of like artist that I aspire to be or that I feel like I just am is sort of the I mean the person that I am is not someone who feels like they're just the cream of the crop and should be respected. Um, And I actually always wonder if, like when I I get off stage and I tell people, oh my gosh, I was so nervous about that show. They're always like, really? You seem so confident up there. You seem so um, sort of on top of things. And, And even when people respond to me in terms of my music, they're like, wow, you're like really going hard on this track. And, and in my mind, that's shocking to me because I don't, necessarily hear that like I'm very I'm very insecure um and so I approach my artistry and my relationship with with people um very openly and telling them and expressing to them that I'm never sure of anything and I think that's actually been to my benefit um because then people are able to relate I think people can relate to someone who's constantly questioning where they're supposed to be there's few things with it and getting a little well known cool kids treating you better than you a pharaoh fools get greedy i'm tickled just like i'm elmo they can't see the grease that be trickling out through my elbow and people moving but they still ain't want to pay you the station like your music very recently i performed at magfest which is like this big sort of nerd and geek video game um festival that takes place in um, uh, in D.C. slash Baltimore. And I performed this piece um, in which I talk about the struggle of being, um, you know, a dark-skinned African-American woman who adored games and cartoons and never seeing faces that looked like mine. Um, and afterwards, and, and I, you know, broke down on stage. And afterwards, I got so many hugs. So many, like, women of color came up to me afterwards and just kind of gave me, like, the head nod, like, I get it. You know, I understand. And, and for me, that's, I think, what it's all about. Um, and, and not sort of going up there and being like, I'm the coolest person ever. That's fun. It's fun to have, be to swagger and talk about how dope you are. But it's much more meaningful to say, 
these things hurt me. Um, I get hurt sometimes and I don't know what to do with that pain. So I'm just going to put it in a song. It's always so interesting when you get a bunch of people interested in a topic in one room and how it makes yeah. that okay. Like, yeah. like I know that uh, we have, you know, our mutual friend, uh, you know, Jamie Broadnax. Mm-hmm. And like, if you get enough black girl nerds in a room, then mm-hmm. for a minute it's okay. But then yeah. you go back to Ithaca or whatever. And then it's yeah. like, okay, well then it's just me. Yeah. You know? And then it's, it's gone. It's very ephemeral, I think. And, and I even, the way they described MAGFest or like leaving MAGFest they call it post-MAG depression it's like what happens when you come down from being in this environment with all of these people who understand um, you know it wasn't a a one-to-one correlation it's not like everybody in there could completely get the the struggle that I'm talking about but they have some understanding of what video games and cartoons um, represent to to us culturally and then also encountering women of color people of color who who have had those experiences um, and then coming back here to Ithaca, I do, I do feel, I have felt lost. Um, and even in the broader sort of like nerdcore sense, nobody really knows what to do with me here. Um, and so I, in that sense, I do feel like I'm in the right place at the right time because I'm able to take advantage of the internet. Um, whereas 15 years ago, if I were here in Ithaca getting my PhD, I don't know who would have heard my, about my music. I don't know <laughs> who would be listening to my albums or, you know, um, coming out to see me because it's just the scene for that here is is limited in some regards. If you are not getting validation for who you are, sometimes you need to find it. You have to seek it out. Yeah. You have to have faith. Like there's there's the, there's the weeks that you you toil, yeah. And then when you need that energy, you need to go out and you need to get that energy. Yeah, and and I think there's it's complicated messaging because right now we live very much in this era of sort of like self care, preserve yourself, find value intrinsically, but that's really really hard to do. Um, <laughs> to just um, sort of evoke this idea that I'm important because I'm a person. Um, especially in this sort of era of, of social media um, instant updates where you're seeing what everybody else is doing. Um, you can feel very bogged down by um, the sort of, um, I don't know, how your own life hasn't necessarily played out in the way that you thought that it would. That can be really intense to sort of come up, come up against and being told that, well, you need to find validation in yourself and for yourself. I think that's a lot more challenging than just finding people who are into the same stuff that you're into um and and that maybe it's like a shortcut for um trying to have that sort of self-love and self-care that's so difficult to obtain that is really interesting for a second finding people who are into the same stuff that you're into and appear to be okay is a Mm -hmm. shortcut yeah to being okay yourself yeah, I, I think so. And and I think that's what we were getting at when, when talking about, you know, Janelle Monet or being in this room full of um, other, you know, self-identified geeks and nerds or having these black women come up to me and hug me and, and cry with me about, you know, Sailor Moon not having, <laughs> you know, a black person on her squad. So um, 
I think in that sense, it's really um, a really powerful way for you to see yourself and find your own voice. But it also the other side of the coin is that when that's gone, you feel so empty. And I think that's why when you see like celebrities of yesteryear, like it's it's kind of it's heartbreaking, you know, because there's like this sense of a fall from grace or there was a time when you were on top of the world and now you're not getting the phone calls or the tweets or the whatever. And so what are you then? Um, So I understand the need to find validation for yourself in your life generally. um, But right now it's just easier to find it through connecting with other people. I don't know if you saw the article about Rick Moranis that was going around. So you know who Rick Moranis is, right? Uh Uh-huh. So he was on top of the world, right? He did mm-hmm. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Ghostbusters. And there was yeah. a time when he was probably like, you know, Adam Sandler at his height. Like he was mm-hmm. he was the guy. And then he had kids. And mm-hmm. it was clear, and his wife passed away, and he needed mm-hmm. to be home with his kids. Yeah. So he literally, at the height of his career, left Hollywood. And mm-hmm. where, have, where has he been, right? So right. we would all assume that he didn't get work and then became a has-been. Mm-hmm. But he's been a stay-at-home dad for like the last 15 years. Wow. And he came up for a um, an interview. I think it was like in the New Yorker or something. Mm-hmm. And he's he is happy. Like, like mm. basically the interviewer was trying to keep poking at him. But like, you know, what you gave it all yeah, like, up. Yeah, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you, what are you, yeah, you do, he's like, well, you know, I do PTA and I volunteer at my kid's school. Wow. And, you know, I do this and I do that. And and it it the entire interview pivoted because... It went from this like, where are they now? You know, let's mm. look, let's all look at the freak and see how sad yeah, he is that he's yeah. not Rick Moranis anymore. To by the end, it's like, wow, I wish we could all have the internal faith that Rick Moranis mm. does. <laughs> you know, like what yeah. amazing stuff have you done? And he's like, well, let me tell you about my kids and what school they're going to. And wow, that's 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 so like he had that faith and that he yeah. appears at least to have that poise. We should all be that be that strong. Yeah, and and that's what I think we're trying to seek and why it can be dangerous for people like myself and other artists who um, can conflate like value with likes or comments or tweets. And that's not to say that, you know, I'm, I'm so focused on like the numbers because I'm not even in it. I don't think I'm popular enough to where the numbers are affecting my life that seriously, but it. It does become a bigger and bigger stress, I think, every day with each new follower, each new fan. It's sort of like, oh, gosh, I've, I've got to keep this up. And, um, you know, I have to, to keep these people happy and keep myself happy. But they, they validate me, so I don't want to let them down. And so there is, I think for me, I, I would desire to be someone who's on that same level where I can just be happy in myself and not feel like I have to be um, catering to or speaking to anyone at any given time. Yeah, that that would be the that would be the end point. But at yeah. the same time, is it okay to like to like the likes? You know, like yeah. you know, I'll post something about my like I'm playing 3D printing right now, so I post something and it ends up getting a hundred likes on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. You yeah, know? <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to do more with that thing. Like it shouldn't. If I'm doing this correctly, I shouldn't change my behavior. But at the same time, I, I'm still excited. Like, if you do an album that's yeah. slightly less what you've been doing and more jazz or more yeah. more alternative, and suddenly it explodes, mm-hmm. I think you should stop, shouldn't you? And say, well, wait a second. 
I just put one foot in the fork in the road in a direction I've never gone before. Yeah. And things changed. Yeah. Is that my new center or do I, you know, like if I go down that road, is it the right reason? That's a great question. And I think one that, that people who are trying to navigate like what, what is essentially two very different scenes. Like nerdcore is very different from indie hip hop. I think there's a little bit Mm -hmm. of overlap, but there's, for the most part, even the 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 like the set lists that I put together are so drastically different for each scene. So um, I, I am very much feeling the pressure to figure out like, okay, is this next project going to fit in this category or in that category? And I think particularly with this last project, um, my my Metroid project, I I did a lot of self assessment, and I don't feel like. My center is now Nerdcore because I have released this Nerdcore project that a lot of people have responded to. I think it's an awesome work that speaks for itself. But if I never do another Nerdcore project again, I would like a strictly sort of game focus. I I think I would be okay um, because part of my um, part of my artistry involves being very open about my process and my thinking and I and I do think people respond to that even if it's not referencing Sonic the Hedgehog or whatever um, but that's that's right. definitely a fear of mine and I do I do feel like this little rush of adrenaline when I post something and people really like it or are leaving comments it's it's your creation it's your baby that you have you know worked on or your picture that you've posted and now a whole bunch of people are responding to it so that I think most people would be lying if they were to say that that didn't do something to them even the the people who are sort of like oh it's all stupid all social media is this down the third but mm-hmm. they're still posting things you know so they <laughs> they're still... saying that on social media they're using twitter to say you know twitter's all a, a stupid game and you know but i just have to play and and if you're playing it then get excited about it and enjoy mm-hmm. it and and you know make it worth your while instead of sitting there and complaining about it Sometimes you're just in a really, really bad place. I felt that way when I put this song together. I feel better now, though. You know, I, I don't... I really do feel... Maybe this is me actually having some faith in myself, but um, like through this, this conversation, I'm discovering that I do have some faith in myself. Um, I, I do feel like there's like a... There's a me, a little bit of me, like a quintessential part of my soul or my character that's in everything that I do. And, you know, while some people might like the beats or the lyrics here... I think some people are really some of my supporters are just into whoever I am, the way that I express things. And that can't change because that's me. Um, so I, I do think I would, you know, lose a whole bunch of supporters if tomorrow I decided to, you know, be the Shania Twain of, of like nerdcore. But I do I do think that that a majority of the people who um, support me support me because they like the person that they think me to be um, through my posts and through my music and through my interactions online, through my YouTube videos and those kinds of things. Um, I think that they appreciate who I am as a person. So they'll at least listen to what I have to say and and why. Um, And I always provide so much backstory, so much explanation 
Um, and, you know, part of it is, is me not having faith in myself, but I also think part of it helps to really connect people with what I'm doing because they can see that this wasn't just some harebrained scheme that I, I woke up with one day and, and, um, to, to make lots of money or, you know, just, it, it's coming from a real place, having that explanation or having that breakdown of what the song means to me and why, and why I'm dropping it on this day, like talking about the significance of it. Hey, 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 that's right. Yo, I work hard for the money, harder for the fans, hardest for myself and the artist that understands. Success is not a given unless you're willing to grind. Invest in your decision to do in the things you like. I work hard for the money, harder for the fans, hardest for myself and the artist that understands. Success is not This a is given one half of you, mm-hmm. but the, the other half will be will be doctor. <laughs> Does mm-hmm. everyone now call you doctor when you get on stage? There's a whole other half of your life. Like, what, what do you, what is that person going to do? Or does that just become something that goes in front of your name and you? Yeah, this other half. My gosh, um, it's so funny. My my first like full length project is called Mother Brain, and it's M apostrophe Other Brain, which is based on the the um, you know main villain from Metroid. But I framed it like that because the. The album is supposed to be my other brain, like my other half, um, because at the time that I was working on it, um, I was very immersed in trying to figure out what it meant to be a PhD student, what it meant to, to you know, get your doctorate and, and all of these things. And then music popped up as like really dominating the other side of me, like being my secret identity. Um, in terms of what that will mean for me, I don't know. And I actually get very, speaking of like imposter syndrome, I feel it m- much more on the PhD side than on the music side um, because I'm trying to do something that I don't really know that there's sort of a blueprint for. Um, and so I, I don't know if I'm doing it right, like trying to pursue my doctorate, but also trying to make this sort of weird nerd music. Um, and, and doing a pretty decent job of that. And um, I have a lot of anxiety about the Academy, what the Academy means, and, and more so what it represents. Um, one of the, the new songs that I'm working on for my next project specifically deals with a lot of my insecurity about the Academy, about not feeling like I fit in, um, about not wanting to play the games that I think are part of it. Like, you have to cite this old white dead guy or you don't know anything about this um just the way that it plays out or you have to have this peer-reviewed article or you're not a legitimate person to speak on this um and i felt that struggle because a lot of my my friends um are activists and they've been shut out of the academy and their voices are not um sort of heard or used in the same capacity um so i feel very much a struggle about like who i am and and what what kind of person i want to be um, and what the Academy represents more sort of broadly. Hard for the money, harder for the fans, hardest for myself and the artists that understand. Success is not a given unless you're willing to grind. Invest in your decision to do in the things you like. I work hard for the money. You know, you write this paper and a couple people read it and... And you write another paper and a couple of people will read it. And ultimately, mm-hmm. what really matters is like these people who are, are going to determine whether they let you in or whether they don't. It's not 
Right. Um, right. It's a, it's a club, and I don't feel that way with music. I feel like right. I can speak to anybody when I get on stage, and and even though I talk about how the Ithaca scene is not particularly, um, uh, I shouldn't say that it's not conducive for, it, but it's it's the music I make is is very unique for our, what it is here. But I have had so many people come up to me after shows who you know would never have listened to me otherwise who were like wow that really spoke to me and i don't feel like i would have that reach in the academy in, in a certain sense and I, but i do think that that's changing i think there are a lot of um sort of you know new guard um professors and graduate students who are are challenging the dominant paradigms like for example trying to bring in like visual culture or even what i'm interested in sound studies i think some of these like new ways of thinking and new fields where we're challenging like the the sort of um, the central tenets that hold a lot of fields together. That's important. So uh, that drives me as it relates to the academy is is being a part of change um, and opening new doors and having entryways for people who would never otherwise have a voice. All right, it's time to turn up in this. Power-ups. I land in my ship, you can call me Picard. Check to the left, but the tunnel is small. Find my room, already the problem is solved. I can make my whole body turn into a bar. Yeah, I'm on a roll. So then faith goes kind of put two ways. Uh, does the do you have faith in the academy and does the academy have faith in you? <laughs> I think I think my advisor has faith in me. And that actually has, has meant a lot. Um in terms of speaking on my behalf and and bringing me into the department um, because I I very much have felt like am I supposed to be here did they just did they just let me in because I went here for undergrad or like how am I how am I in this place with you know some very very intelligent people um, but he's spoken to me before and others people that he's spoken to have said yeah he speaks very highly of you so um, I do feel that he has faith in me in terms of my faith in in the academy. Uh, to be to be honest, I I don't have very much faith in the academy. I don't. Um, I'm pursuing a PhD because I like learning about stuff, but I am not naive enough, at least at this point anymore, to believe that it's just that simple. I'd rather change things through my music. I I may be having uh, not I may be I I have had several crises of faith. Um, uh, again, some of my newer work that I'll be releasing is is talking a lot about wondering what am I doing here like what is my purpose in this in this field and and in this um and I feel it less I used to feel it a lot when I was taking coursework I would be walking down these like lonely hallways to my class and wondering like what what am I doing right now um it's a beautiful day outside I have all of this music and all this stuff I want to be doing but I'm here walking to this hallway to a class that I don't want to take to have a discussion that I don't want to have about a reading that I really didn't like. Um, 
So <laughs> it, and I felt that way so much. But in some regards, this has helped me to play the game um, because it's it's opened up a whole new audience of people that I can speak to about some of the things that I'm thinking about. Um, and, and I'm invited to speak as like an expert or as a, you know, a Ph.D. student in certain venues that I may never have been able to otherwise. So I recognize that I can play the game to my benefit. It's just not all that fun. You know, amidst all of these sort of crises of faith and not knowing if my music um, was really doing what I wanted it to do, I decided, hey, let me do a Kickstarter, (laughs) you know, and a couple of people responded. So I was like, okay, that's something that I could maybe do. So I was like, I need to do a, a proper nerdcore project, but I want to do it in a way that um, is like on a, a, a bigger scale than anything I've ever done before and find a way to promote it without having to do sort of the legwork of, okay, I'm recording, I've mixed, I've mastered now, everybody buy my album. So it seemed like Kickstarter was the best way to go or like a crowdfunding in general. Um, but it, it took me several months to like, I made the campaign, but it took me months and months to feel confident that I could actually launch the thing. Um, I emailed every person I knew people who had launched Kickstarter campaigns, people who hadn't asking, do you think anybody would, is this reasonable to ask people to, to give me money for my music? Um, and they all were sort of looking at me like, what is wrong with you? Like, this is a, a path that you have pursued why are you so anxious about asking people to support you who have already supported you? Um, and a lot of it was feeling like the project wasn't going to, I hated preemptively taking people's money for something that hadn't been created yet. Um, there's, I think a lot of anxiety about writer's block about not doing it right. Um, and especially for something as sacred as Metroid, I felt like, if I mess this up, it's over for me. Like I, <laughs> no one will ever take me seriously ever again. If I take on one of the most iconic video games and video game characters and make this like terrible, horrible, stupid adaptation of it. So there was a lot of anxiety there. And of course I was teaching at the time. So I didn't have any time to like sit down and make the music. So I just, you know, carved out some time at the end of that semester to make all of the beats and all of the rhymes and all of that stuff, making the beats. And I, and I loved the beats. They were fantastic. But then the semester started and I had no time. And I had promised everyone that I was going to put this out in January or February. And I just realized I can't do that. I can't meet this timeline. Um, so there was a lot of crisis of, in terms of the faith of my my fan base like will they support me if I'm not able to deliver this on time will they still be here for me or will they sort of walk away because I know it 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 always looks bad and especially with a crowdfunding campaign when you don't get it out on time and you always think you're going to be the person who's going to have it all handled and then you don't 
So I didn't end up releasing the project until May, and it was supposed to have come out in January or February. I'm so, I'm so proud of that experience and having come out on the other side of it and producing this project that still has traction, that, that people still tweet to me about and still discover and feel the need to like share with me um, what they're, you know, they're excited that this project exists. It's, I can't even express. I feel, um, I feel like people are like hearing me. Like I'm, I'm finally um, have found my niche. I finally found my, my like voice and people are, are respecting and responding to that. Now there's the pressure of, you know, following this up with another <laughs> project. But I think for now, it has given me the confidence to feel like, hey, I can, I can do weird stuff. I can do different things than I've been doing and people will still roll with me. Even people who never have heard of Metroid in, you know, their whole lives fun, helped fund this pro project and listen to the tracks and know some of the words, even though they don't get the references. Now it wasn't easy, the Chozo had to intervene I was three, seen my folks croak So they took me to Zeeb, seized my old clothes I started rocking a power suit and stuck to my body I learned how to embarrass whoever chose to get rowdy But I wanted my parents there so that they could have taught me I wanted all of their knowledge in place of those who adopted So that, that helped me to realize that like there's a quintessential part of me and all of my music that people who really like me connect to regardless of what I'm talking about. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Developer's Life. We do this for the love of it, not for the money. It might be another month before we have a new episode, or it could be a year. We always appreciate your ideas, your emails, your submissions. And again, we appreciate you having faith in us to tell your stories. Please tell your friends. <laughs>